Are you feeling frustrated with the job hunt? Are endless applications and a radio silence getting you down? You can now book me for $1 a minute for 30, 45, or 60 minutes. Don't need 45 minutes, don't pay for it. Want to do 30 minutes now and maybe 30 minutes later? Once you progress, let's do it. We can conduct a mock interview. I'll help you format great responses that make a difference. We can improve your resume and cover letter to help get you noticed. I'm here to consult with you. If you're in a unique situation and want input from someone that has seen it all and can help you succeed like I have so many others, it's super simple. Just go to jobinterviewexperience.com and click the $1 a minute coaching button at the very top of the page. Select the amount of time you want to meet and then you can look through my availability without having to pay. Check out my availability, pick a time, and pay $1 a minute for 100% of my attention. It's blocked into 30, 45, or 60 minutes, so we won't go over, you won't get charged any more than what you pay at checkout. Remember, the faster you invest in yourself, the faster you land that dream job. Go to jobinterviewexperience.com or follow the link in this episode's description. I'm excited to meet and help you take control of your career today. Welcome to the job interview experience. I'm a former executive recruiter, search firm owner, director of town acquisition, and today, the founder of Candidate Club Interview Prep and your hosts of the job interview experience. Joining us today are Sergey and Vadim Revzin, twin brothers and co-founders of School 16, an online education company that helps people break into lucrative tech careers without learning how to code. Prior to this, the brothers served as professors and investors at New York University and its Entrepreneurial Institute. They ran entrepreneurship programs at organizations like Venture for America and were operators at several high-growth technology startups in Boston, New York City, and now Mexico City. Sergey and Vadim are also writers on Forbes and Harvard Business Review, where they write about topics like entrepreneurship, venture capital, and the future of adult education. Sergey and Vadim are here to share their knowledge of creating a powerful elevator pitch to answer interview questions, why you should spend 80% of your job search on one important aspect, and how to break into technical roles without knowing how to code. Sergey and Vadim, welcome to the job interview experience. Thanks for having us, Matthew. Yeah, excited to be here. I love the topics that you talk about, Matthew, and we're excited to get into it. Before we get into it, can we get to know you outside of your work? How do each of you like to spend your free time? Yeah, great question. We're lucky enough to be twin brothers and grew up with very similar interests and hobbies. That's part of the reason why we run a business together and our resumes are very similar. So our hobbies are, are very similar as well. So probably at the end of today, we're going to go play basketball here in one of the courts in Mexico City with some folks locally that we play with every week or so. We play soccer as well. Here we put together a soccer team in Mexico City. We both really love music as well. So we we used to write a lot of music and perform all over New York City. We don't get to do it as much right now, but we like to jam once in a while with our friends. So I guess a lot of creative interests as well, which I think a lot of people in tech have creative interests. Well, and now increasingly we're spending more and more time studying Spanish because we want to make sure that we master the language while we have the opportunity to live here in Mexico City. So that's taken up a lot of time. What tools are you using to learn Spanish? 
You know, honestly, I think it's a combination of things. I buy children's books and translate them. What I like to do is find a book where there's a story per book. So it's usually for like probably six to 10 year olds, right? Because you don't want to go too young. There's not going to be enough material. So I translate books. But really what's worked for me over and over again is having a tutor that I meet with on a weekly basis, typically twice per week, one hour each time where we practice speaking and we actually focus on areas that I'm struggling in, right? And so I've been through four tutors or so, so it takes time to find the right one, similar to, let's say, a therapist or something else like that, where the connection is really important. But once you find someone that really understands your learning style and where your gaps are, your level of sort of acceleration of learning increases significantly. Let's talk a little bit about School 16. What's the journey that led to you opening this and where you are today? We actually grew up in a family of educators, so the importance of education was something that was prevalent throughout our childhood and our lives. And we actually, we were born in in Belarus, we're half Ukrainian, half Belarusian. Our dad was a school principal, our mom was a vice principal, and and also a teacher of English and Russian. And so we grew up thinking, hey, we're going to be, we're going to do something in education. You know, we want to emulate our parents. And when we moved to the United States, I think we, as we got older, we got bit by the entrepreneurship bug, by the business bug, so to speak. So, so we started thinking about how can we have an impact in the world through business? And it actually took us a while to figure out where in business we were going to have an impact, probably about a decade of trying different business ideas, working for different startups. We've built our own software and sold it as well, you know, with technical co-founders. And it wasn't until we actually turned 30, 31 years old where we got into higher education and became professors because of our knowledge of entrepreneurship. You know, even though we don't have master's degrees, Vadim became a professor. I became a lecturer and a venture investor in universities. We saw that our classes were doing well and the way that we were teaching was resonating with students, the way that we were rethinking how the topic of business should be taught was resonating in the university setting. So after many businesses working for businesses and starting our own, we finally realized that this is what our calling is, what it has been all along, and now we're finally ready for it, which is building an education venture for ourselves. So it took a little time to get there. I don't think we would have been ready to start School 16 when we were 21 or 25 years old, but after we had that experience and some of that external validation, we were able to figure out how to launch a business of our own in the education sector. And you help people that lack coding experience find technical jobs. How is that possible? So so to clarify, we actually help people that have no coding experience find tech jobs, non-technical tech jobs, right? So the, the idea that we had going into starting this this venture is that there's been this narrative for many years, about a decade, that everybody should learn how to code. And I think initially the intention of that narrative was was positive especially if you're motivating kids, for example, to pick up some coding skills while in school and, 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 and learn these different technologies and products. But the adverse effect that it had is it created this perception that the only way you can be successful in today's economy and today's workforce is to be technical enough. But that's just simply not true. More than 50% of jobs are non-coding and non-technical related. Sergey and I are not coders. We've been both salespeople, marketers, sales engineers, product managers, all without ever learning how to code and all at early and growth stage technology companies. So that was the aha moment for us is how do we combine this experience that we have in education 
and practical skills development. That was always kind of what we led with in the in the classes that we taught and couple it with where we believe the needs are in the economy right now, which is having people that understand how product decisions are made, having people that understand how to get customers and all these different things. So our focus has always been actually helping people that don't want to learn how to code, that don't see themselves as developers, because not everybody should be a developer, right? It's not for everybody. It's a very specific type of skill set. And if you don't see yourself as such, it doesn't mean you have to learn it simply because those roles are also in demand because there's plenty of other roles within tech companies that need to support engineering teams, that need to support customers and get customers. And so that's always been a focus for us. I'm sure that's a huge relief for folks that maybe they have opportunities at a tech company or they like the business model or the mission. But like you said, they don't want to be developers or that's just not where they know their skills are. How did you make this connection for roles like the ones that you help with and then the lack of assistance for them to get there? We first started to get this insight when we were teaching at NYU and at SUNY. And because of our positions in those universities, we were meeting with undergraduate students, graduate students, PhDs, MBAs, you name it, you know, ages 18 through 40. And regardless of age and regardless of education level, a lot of the uncertainties about careers and how to enter certain careers came from people who were interested in tech. And it was actually a large percentage of the population that we were dealing with, that we were speaking with. People that enter the university or people that pursue graduate degrees, oftentimes they do it because they want to have an edge, because they want to make sure that they're employable, they can set up a great career for themselves. And tech permeates pretty much everything that we do. But unfortunately, the existing model of higher education isn't really designed for that. It's actually, like, for example, MBAs were really popularized in the 80s when finance and consulting were the industries that essentially financed them. And so as a result, they've been a little bit slow to catch up. And so we saw that the even some of the best schools in the country are not equipped to people to help people figure out how to navigate these tech careers. Certainly, if you want to be an engineer, you can go to a great engineering school. You're going to get a, you're probably going to get a job. But if you want any other kind of job, you know, for example, your career services department is not going to be very helpful. They're probably going to give you the same advice that they give other people. So as much as the intention of these administrators and some of these professors is good, it's not enough for the current population of students. And what really helped us figure out the gap in the market is actually when the pandemic started, which is when we started the business, where it became very clear that there was a huge group of people that were at a disadvantage, right? So you and me, right? You, me, and Vadim probably were doing our work. We could continue doing it remotely. We could continue doing it online. We could continue getting a paycheck, supporting ourselves and our families. But if you were working in healthcare and teaching in retail, all of a sudden, Actually, you, it was a very precarious situation for you. And so there was a lot of people that wanted to go from those industries to enter into tech careers, even though that was already a trend, it, the trend essentially accelerated. So that's what really crystallized it for us. It was our years of experience working in higher education that was then really spurred into action by the pandemic that really made the opportunity for people very, very obvious. I'm sure a lot of the folks that are involved with School 16 are also thinking about their next job and how to connect with it. So how, how do you think candidates can create a personal narrative or elevator pitch to answer the question, you know, tell me about yourself or even 
why are you here? I think a lot of people get that wrong. And if you've ever had to interview people, which obviously as, as founders of a school, we have to on a weekly basis, you really feel that even the strongest candidates that have really good, look really good on paper, they obviously make it to the, to the round of the interview. They don't know how to answer that question. And I think that's because we're never really taught that. Even in school, our career services departments don't really stress, if we even leverage those resources, the importance of being able to answer that very, very simple question and answer it, by the way, in a couple of different ways, right? If you're interviewing at one company, you might want to adjust the story a little bit. But it is a story, and I think a lot of people need to realize that. It's a story that you formulate. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place, and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences the more you use indeed the better it gets join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use indeed to hire great talent fast and listeners of this show will get a 75 dollars sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash podcast just go to indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast terms and conditions apply indeed.com slash podcast need to hire you need indeed. The default, I think, for most folks for a personal narrative is, okay, I'm going to go through my whole experience since college, right? Maybe even in college as well, right? That's my story. But if you read a book, there's the author of the story, or even, a, or even a short story, the author of the story thinks, spends a lot of time thinking about the narrative, spends a lot of time thinking about the beginning, middle, and end. How do you excite the reader? How, you, how do you keep them engaged? And how do you bring the story to some kind of resolution? And so when you're creating your own personal narrative, you're essentially doing the same thing, but in a micro sort of way where you need to cut it down to a couple of minutes. And the reason why I always advise that people start with really telling the story in a few minutes is because if you think about human nature and human relationships, most people care about themselves, right? It's, it's, it's how we live. Most people think about themselves, we live in our heads. And so even when they ask you, tell me about themselves, they're probably thinking about something else, or at the very least, they're thinking about, okay, is what this person's saying relevant to what I'm going to ask next, or relevant to this job, and, and whatnot. So by cutting it down to two minutes, you're, for, you're creating a constraint for yourself to actually tell a compelling and interesting story and all of us have something interesting about ourselves. Now, this is where you have to think hard about who you're meeting with as well. That's why preparation is so critical. Your story is going to change depending on who you're meeting with and what you think will resonate with them, number one. And number two, you have to allow yourself to edit out your story. In other words, there may be pieces of your experience that are interesting to you, but might not be interesting or relevant to the person that you're talking to. You don't have to mention that. You can edit it to make sure that it's likely that the person will engage with what you're saying and more importantly, will have follow-up questions after your two-minute story to hear more about your story, but then more about what is actually important to them. And then it's more of a conversation and people prefer a conversation much more than just listening to somebody ramble on for 10 or 15 minutes about their life. In my experience, when someone asks that question, tell me about yourself or what kind of work do you do? When they ask that in a 
job interview setting or a networking event and they are a decision maker, they're trying to help you with that question. The question behind that question is really, how do you connect with what I'm currently working on? Or how do you connect with this open position? How does your story, which leads to your skills, align with this so that we can move forward or so that I can ask you more specific questions about your skills? When people are asked that, they are opening a door for you to pitch your skills. They don't want to hear too much about your hobbies or your last vacation or it's what do you do and how does that align with either what I do or what we're trying to accomplish? I 100% agree. The thing is, it's actually an incredible opportunity for you to paint whatever picture you want. And when you're in that situation with somebody What you actually should be trying to do, and this is especially in a networking event like you were mentioning, Matthew, is you want to ask the other person questions as quickly as possible to basically figure out what are they all about? What do they care about, right? Outside of the maybe research that you've done, but in a networking event, you might not know who you're talking to. You want to get more data from them because then that can help shape what you're going to say next about yourself. If anybody here that's listening has read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, a really great book. I reread it every couple of years. What he talked about in terms of winning friends, the kind of main thesis was, again, people like to hear themselves talk and people like it when you agree with them, right? And that doesn't mean you have to agree with everything everybody says. But if you want to be liked, you should actually talk less and let the other side talk more. But what you're doing in that instance is you're collecting data about the right thing to say next. But you're absolutely right. They're giving you an opportunity to basically sell yourself in a way that matters for them. So oftentimes listening is more important than talking. It also creates a conversation that leads down a much better path. 100% agree. And maybe allow me to, to sort of reconstruct the question you asked us a few minutes ago, which is how did School 16 come about? It's actually just a different variation of asking the question, tell me about yourself. And in a similar way, I think maybe people can learn from how I answered that question if I can reconstruct it a little bit. Obviously, Vadim and I have a lot of experience talking with people, networking, doing interviews and the like. So it's pretty pretty much second nature for us to answer in hopefully a brief of enough way to keep people's attention. But I I thought of that question exactly the same way. And importantly, I had a few sort of micro stories in my head already that I didn't have to memorize. I didn't have to look at a piece of paper where I was able to answer that question actually very easily, right? So I, I only mentioned our childhood and the fact that our, we grew up in a family of educators because that's relevant to us starting a school. I fast-forwarded to Vadim and I starting a couple of companies because that's relevant to you know why we started School 16 and why we felt we had the confidence to build a business in education and effectively compete in higher education. And I mentioned some quick stories about what we learned in our roles in higher ed, because the why of why we started School 16, why we're motivated building this business, why we thought we would be successful, is what the listener is curious about, is what the person who's asking you the question, tell me about yourself, they want to know the why. They want to know why you made the decisions that you did, not just the list of the things that you've done, but the why behind it. And so if you construct it in that way, when you think about your own story in your career, it's certainly not linear. When I was 30, starting in, in higher education, I didn't know that I was going to start School 16. Neither did Vadim. And now it sounds like a clean story, but it's because we've thought about it and we've thought about the evolution of us as professionals and how we answer that question many times. When listeners construct your story or your pitch, 
just know that it takes practice and mm. depending on who I'm talking to, to this day, I'll get asked that and I'll get excited and start speaking quickly or go off track. It really does take practice. And you two are a great example of doing it well, keeping it brief and not turning it into a 10 minute story. But the nerves do still kick in, especially if it's an interview. So construct that, practice it. And every time you do it, you'll get a little bit better at it. And eventually you'll have something you're confident in. We talked about networking. You have a really great perspective on that and how that helps a job seeker. Can you share why you think people should invest more time in networking, especially for job attainment? You know, I think for a lot of people, sure, networking is is scary and putting yourself out there, but it's also a bit amorphous. What does that mean? Who do I network with? How long do I have to network with them to actually see some results? A good way to think about it is to be a little bit more deliberate about your approach. Obviously, if you're going to a conference, if you're going to a networking event, oftentimes you're going to be meeting all sorts of different people and you may not even have control or the ability to target the types of people that you're meeting. But even then, oftentimes when Sergey and I were starting different ventures, we would try to find the attendee list of a networking event ahead of time and send them messages or at the very least make sure to look up their LinkedIn to know what they look like, come up to them and talk to them so that their approach was a little bit more targeted. But for folks that are listening, I would say the most helpful way to think about it is what are you looking to get out of the networking? So let's say you're looking for a job. Well, looking for a job is, is obviously a hard endeavor. But it makes it even harder if you're if that's sort of as targeted as you are. Oh, I'm looking for a job. That's not targeted at all, right? That's very, very broad. So start to dig a little bit deeper. Okay, I'm looking for a job. I want to work for a tech company. Great. Well, there's thousands of different titles that are relevant for a tech company. Start thinking about that. Okay, what are skills that I already have? Or what parts of my story can be relevant to some jobs within a tech company. So let's say you have client services experience. And if people can tell, I'm going through examples of how somebody, like even some of our students are thinking about this stuff. Let's say I have a client services experience. So I have experience dealing with customers in the hospitality industry. Well, maybe I can target customer facing roles within tech companies that service the hospitality industry. Well, look how much more targeted you already are in figuring out who you should be talking to, who you should be reaching out to, and trying to grow your network. And so as you start going through this process, you're going to become more and more aware of the types of people you should meet. And then once you identify who those people are, if you're doing cold outreach, for example, and that's the way you're networking, which is something that we work with a lot on our students, again, you have to think about every step of the process, okay? Well, what happens when I'm reaching out? How do I make sure that people are likely to respond? Once I'm on a call with them, how do I make sure that They feel like they're being helpful on the call because this is why oftentimes people take these calls is they just want to help you. And so how do I make sure I ask the right questions? I'm inquisitive about their careers. And very importantly, at the end, how do I make sure that there's some kind of next steps? We had a woman who became a product manager right out of college at Facebook, and she did something really, really interesting that we now advise all of our students to do. She would have these types of do this types of cold outreach. She, when she was looking for a job at Facebook, she just reached out to a bunch of product managers at Facebook, and she would have this conversation about their life. And of course, naturally, they asked her about her life, and she started a nonprofit when she was in a university, so she was obviously very impressive. And at the end, she wouldn't ask them, can you introduce me to somebody at the company? She would ask them, is there anything that I could do to stand out for an opportunity at Facebook? Okay, pretty broad, but if the conversation went well, the other person would naturally say, 
sure, I'd love to, I'd happy to introduce you to a hiring manager in department X. And she did that enough where ultimately she landed a role. And if the conversation didn't go well, maybe they didn't really end on anything, you know, specific, but it's okay because she could, Facebook is a multi-thousand person organization. She could continue building more and more relationship with the product managers there. So definitely always try to figure out, you know, if the person likes you, give them an opportunity to help you. And even if there's nothing you can get out of it from the beginning, because remember, you don't want to be transactional about these conversations, stay in touch with them. Maybe in two, three, six months. In my case, oftentimes six years down the line, I'll reconnect with somebody that I met at an event or reached out to cold, and then they help me. So be deliberate about your approach. Be prepared. Be targeted. And you can see results from networking very, very quickly in a matter of weeks and months, not years of developing a network. I couldn't agree more. It's a little bit of both. You're investing in the short term and the long term at the same time. It's a little bit of a numbers game. There are huge short-term benefits to networking, but like you said, the people you meet and the impressions you make can pay huge dividends down the road and in (laughs) ways that probably you didn't expect at the time of meeting people. I'm so glad that you said that about having a goal in mind with networking. I recently released an episode about networking and I didn't hit on that. So thanks for filling in that blank and sharing that with our listeners. You spoke about someone from School 16, and I was wondering if you have any recent success stories on how a typical student with School 16 starts and then the success they've had after going through your program. Happy to share a success story. Thanks for asking that, Matthew. And I actually want to reference something from your podcast because it's something really important, but I think sometimes a little bit confusing for people which is you mentioned in your show that when you are networking, when you're establishing a relationship with someone, it's important to not just like immediately ask for something right away, because that's a huge turnoff, right? If you get on a call with someone who's who you ask for advice or who you want to learn from their career, which is a great way to get somebody to help you. And then the first thing that you say is like, you know, I actually saw that position in your company and I, you know, can you help me get an interview? They're not going to be interested in helping you because they haven't learn anything about you and it just comes off way too strong. So for a lot of people, it's actually a really difficult nuanced thing. Like, well, how do I actually get something out of a networking conversation, but not come on too strong? And that's where I think what Vadim mentioned was very important, where you have to practice talking about yourself, you know, answering the question, tell me about yourself in a way where you become much more fluid in how you talk about your experiences and learn how to talk about the impressive things that you've done, like that woman who started a nonprofit in college, right? And so once you can start to kind of mention those impressive nuggets about what you've done in your previous experiences, then at the end, you've built enough trust, whether it's in the first conversation or second one, to be able to say something like, I'd love to continue this conversation. You know, I'm going to continue exploring roles. Maybe if I can reach out to you for some help afterwards. I would really appreciate it. Or like Vadim said, you know, what do you think I could do in the future to stand out for roles like this at Facebook, which is not a direct ask, give me a job, but it's a little bit indirect. It opens up an opportunity for someone to help. So these nuances and language and communication take time. And it's just important to understand how to talk about yourself and how to ask for things and ask for help in the right way at the right time. So I wanted to mention that because I didn't want people to be confused because it's a really nuanced, difficult thing to do. To, to answer your question, Matthew, about a, a, a success story, you know, our our students tend to be quite varied. Some of them come from healthcare, some of them come from education, some of them are already in tech, and they want to make sure they're standing out in their roles. 
What all of them have in common is that they're willing to do the hard work. So first of all, I'll preface it with that, because if you're looking to change careers or you're an ambitious person and you want to advance your career, realize that for everyone, it's not easy, right? You go through a lot of at-bats. I think you talked about in your networking episode that you sometimes would go to an event and there'd be really nobody relevant there, right? So you have to go to through a lot of this and be willing to put yourself out there. But if you do that, success will come. And you know, one story that comes to mind is a, a, a woman in our program named Nicole. She studied healthcare policy. She graduated from a great school. She studied healthcare policy, but realized toward the end of her master's degree that she didn't want to do healthcare policy, right? Because there were certain paths that those people followed and those jobs didn't seem interesting for her. But she was always interested in tech. And so when she came to our program, she was, of course, a little bit lost because she didn't know how she could possibly connect her healthcare policy degree with a job in tech. And so our program really focuses on developing what we say, what we call practical foundational skills in tech, understanding how these businesses operate to make sure that when you are networking with people in tech, when you are going into interviews, you can speak intelligently to what you believe their problems are and how you can solve them. And so, Throughout our process with her, we figured out that health tech could be an interesting path for her. Well, that makes sense. She studied healthcare policy. She had a lot of experience with hospitals. She understood their operations, even through her work and internships and the like in school. And so that was clearly a domain expertise she was able to develop. So health tech felt like a natural target for her to pursue. The other thread that we found was that she had experience working with customers. So it's not like she just was only working with healthcare and healthcare policy, which can be pretty amorphous. She actually had direct experience with working with customers and customer problems. And so she decided to apply to this opportunity for a customer success manager role at a health tech company. And of course, you know, she went through other interviews that didn't work out, but this particular company decided to take a chance on her because they needed somebody that had customer service experience that knew the healthcare sector and and then she got that job and she got that foot in the door. But her goal initially actually wasn't a customer success job. She wanted to work in product. And if you know anything about tech, you'll know that product management is a tough job to get in tech. They're exclusive. You usually have to have some experience working in tech to get it. And so we set the expectation with her that, look, you need a foot in the door opportunity. You're transitioning careers. You're making a, you're a 180. So first get your foot in the door with a company and then start to pursue something in product. And she actually did that beautifully because when she joined that company, it was about a couple of hundred employees and it was growing. Not only was she doing a great job in her customer success role, but she was networking internally, meeting with people for coffee, especially meeting with people in product teams. And when she had some free time, she would help them out because of course, product teams work very closely with customer teams. And so she would do these little side projects without being on the product team, but helping them out. And a year later, when an opportunity opened up in a product operations role at that company, obviously they thought of her first because she was already working with that team. And so only a year after getting into tech, she got a job working in product. So you can see how deliberate she was with her approach, how relevant she made the story. And, it, it, and it, she was very confused joining the program, folks. Like she was in the same shoes as all of us have been at one point or another. But over time, she put in the practice she gained the foundational knowledge. She allowed herself to fail in some cases as well. And then it all kind of lined up beautifully in the end. I'm sure there's listeners that are hearing about School 16 and also stories like this that are feeling inspired and wanting to take control of their career in the same ways. What type of person 
might be interested in learning more about School 16 or would be a good fit for it? Because technology touches so many parts of our world and pretty much permeates every single industry, I think it can be interesting for a lot of people. But in terms of the people that are successful in our programs, I think it's the people who are willing to take a little bit of a chance on themselves, Um, just like Nicole was willing to do on herself. It's kind of hard when you've, you know, when you've invested a lot of time and energy, for example, getting a master's degree in one area and you decide you want to change careers completely. And we've had former lawyers who've been in, in lawyers for five, anywhere between five years to 20 years. We've had people who have been in real estate, people who've been in customer service and retail, you name it, decide to take their skills and transition it for a tech role. So I think you have to have a little bit of, I suppose, a little bit of ability to take risk because you do have to take a chance on yourself because you're going to have to learn a lot about how to position yourself and your previous background into language and experiences and stories that are relevant to that new type of employer. But there's something else that actually Nicole did that I want to touch on that I want to make sure people don't miss because I think it's easy for people to self-disqualify out from lucrative jobs in industries like tech or even tech jobs in non-technical industries like, like for example industries like finance automotive even healthcare want to hire people that understand technology sales to understand technology marketing digital marketing understand how to work with data and the like so it doesn't have to be just tech companies that you apply to but something that Nicole was very hesitant to do was talk about experiences that were outside of her professional work experience. But we actually found out that she was she worked on trying to start her own business during her graduate degree, where she did probably like 50 or 60 customer discovery conversations, which is a for people that don't know, it's something that a product manager does or an entrepreneur does to figure out what product to build for a customer. She did this over the course of about a month. Now, for most people, they don't consider a one-month project to be interesting enough to talk to employers. But in fact, she talked to 50 or 60 potential customers, and they used this to develop a prototype for the elderly. That was the target customer that they were trying to service. Now, it didn't become a real business. They didn't really build a real product. They just had a prototype. They never sold any of it. She never continued pursuing it after her graduate degree, so she was very hesitant to talk about it. But we told her, listen, like you have to talk about this experience because that's the experience that's going to be way more relevant when you're talking to these tech employers, these health tech startups, than the years of experience before that you've had before your master's degree. And sure enough, once she started talking about this, people were really excited and they saw her as someone that was curious, that was interested, that was able to do the work because she started doing it even without formal experience in the role. So I want to encourage anyone who's maybe a little bit nervous of taking a chance in themselves. They want to change industries. They really want to get out of a job they don't like, that doesn't motivate them, that doesn't pay the bills, that doesn't let them work remotely. Whatever our motivation is for changing careers and wanting to pick up some skill sets that can help us work with technology, I want to encourage you to work on side projects, even for a couple weeks or a couple months, whether it's you know through programs like School 16 or on your own time or helping a friend out with her startup idea. Because you can and should use these stories in the new jobs that you apply to. And oftentimes, that's even way more relevant for the employer than the other experience that you've had. For listeners that like what you're saying and want to learn more and engage with School 16, how can they connect with you two? So we're pretty easy to find online. We're on all the social media. But our website is school16.co. That's school, the numbers 16.co. 
and their email addresses are just our first name, Vadim or Sergey at school16.co. We also encourage people here to connect with us on LinkedIn. We are open with our network. We are also always in support of people that are proactive. And so if you reach out to us, you say, hey, we heard you on Matthew's show and would love to connect. We'll 100% accept your connection request on LinkedIn. So Vadim and Sergey Revzin, just look us up there. And then on social media, it's school16co uh, on uh, Instagram, TikTok, and the, and the like. Thank you so much, you two, for sharing your experience and knowledge and also ideas on how to handle one's career and navigate it and some outside the box thinking, but very solid and proven advice. Before we close, how can you help our listeners kick off the rest of their week or month with a little bit of motivation or encouragement to get back into it and move forward in their job search? One of the things that Vadim and I learned early on in our tech careers and entrepreneurial careers, you know, we we started our first business in college. It completely flopped. It, it took several more business ideas for us to figure out how to create something of value and get revenue and the like. And so at, in business, as in job search processes as well, which, you know, I've been unemployed for stretches of time and throughout my life, Vadim has as well. There's a lot of downtimes. There's a lot of times where you haven't really had any momentum for maybe a weeks or months and you start to doubt yourself and you start to have negative self-talk and it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy which really shakes your confidence and really get it really creates a situation where you stop believing that you're capable of certain things even if you are right so you're kind of hurting yourself oftentimes in that process and so i think what's really important for anyone and as you're starting the week or wherever you are in your week right now is to figure out how to give yourself a win this week. Because one small win can kind of create a snowball effect where you regain your confidence, you start to take chances maybe that you didn't before, you start to talk about yourself in a more confident way that that people can actually hear come out in your voice, and opportunities start gravitating toward you. So how do I create small wins for myself? Well, look, we come from a sales background. That's where we got our chops in tech. So this is a little bit easier for us to to do and say than other people, but I really, really highly recommend you do this, which is open up your LinkedIn and reach out to maybe 10 people you're connected to, or if you're not connected to a lot of people, reach out cold to 10 people asking them for advice and generate one phone call. And if you don't have a big network, maybe reach out to some of your friends or some people that you know that might be in a job that you want to get and get on one phone call, just asking to catch up or asking for advice. Because what that one phone call will do is it'll make you feel like you got a win for that week. It doesn't matter what the outcome. Don't put pressure on yourself for that phone call to have any specific outcome, but do put pressure on yourself to do enough outreach to get at least one call because that is going to feel like a win and that can ha- set, that can set you up for a successful week and a successful month. So I will say small wins, don't forget them, you know, whether it's again going out to getting out of your house and going to a networking event like Matthew talks about like you talk about or, you know, picking up the phone or sending a couple text messages or LinkedIn messages to get someone to respond to you. That small win, no matter how small, will help you set you up for a great week and hopefully a great month. Thank you so much, Sergey and Vadim of School 16. I hope you'll come back and join us again soon. Absolutely. Happy to do it. Thank you, Matthew. Are you feeling frustrated with the job hunt? 
are endless applications and a radio silence getting you down, you can now book me for $1 a minute for 30, 45, or 60 minutes. Don't need 45 minutes. Don't pay for it. Want to do 30 minutes now and maybe 30 minutes later? Once you progress, let's do it. We can conduct a mock interview. I'll help you format great responses that make a difference. We can improve your resume and cover letter to help get you noticed. I'm here to consult with you. If you're in a unique situation and want input from someone that has seen it all and can help you succeed like I have so many others, it's super simple. Just go to jobinterviewexperience.com and click the $1 a minute coaching button at the very top of the page. Select the amount of time you want to meet and then you can look through my availability without having to pay. Check out my availability, pick a time, and pay $1 a minute for 100% of my attention. It's blocked into 30, 45, or 60 minutes, so we won't go over, you won't get charged any more than what you pay at checkout. Remember, the faster you invest in yourself, the faster you land that dream job. Go to jobinterviewexperience.com or follow the link in this episode's description. I'm excited to meet and help you take control of your career today.